This is Joe Goodman of Goodman Games, and before I was corrupted, I listened to Spellburn. we visited the city of the Black Togo, we talked about character generation and fleeting luck. In this installment, sorry, episode, we'd like to dig into the nuts and bolts of Neuonian magic, including some of the patrons common to Lankmar. The best part is, all characters can gain a patron, even if they don't have someone around to cast that pesky patron bond spell. I'm Judge Jen, or Grand Judge Jen if you're Gemma, and with me tonight are two of the best co-hosts an agent of Isak could ask for, Judge Julian. Greetings. And Judge Jeff. Aw, shucks. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Let's roll right on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give it a drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. So, what have we done in gaming for the past week or so? Julian, what have you been doing? What's on the immediate horizon? I I have nothing except I do have a really exciting uh, DCC playtest that I'm fortunate to be running this weekend, but I uh, can't talk too much about it, and that's and that's it. But uh, super looking forward to that because I haven't game since GameholeCon, and I'm jonesing. And a particular module has been made public now. Yes. Yes, and uh, I think we talked a little about it um, last uh, time around, but uh, yeah, the home for the Holodeath has gone live for MCC and uh, had a blast, and I hope many um, player characters' lives are ruined, and and many people enjoy um, death by, well, anyway. So um, yeah, that's been really fun to be a part of. That sounds awesome. How about you, Jeff? Well, not too much. I did play in the second session of Brian Wynn's Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign. The first one was played at Weird Realms, and it was a public game. This one was played at one of the players' home in his kind of garage area, and um, that was fun. The third session will return to Weird Realms and become kind of an open play thing again. Uh, So if anybody's listening and lives in Cleveland and wants to play in the Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer of Hyperborea game, um, then go ahead and swing by. I forget which day of the week it is. It's it's every other Thursday. But you you can contact Weird Realms or follow the Gaming at Weird Realms on Facebook to kind of get updates on things like that. I was going to say, you're playing. How can you forget which day it is? Because <laughs> my, my calendar is so overwhelmed with stuff right now 
that, yeah, I, I you're just every too day popular, I, Jeff. I just look at my calendar and I'm like, what am I doing today? <laughs> so today it's Spellburn. Yeah, like like just like looking at it right now, it's like I saw a ministry on Friday. Um, Saturday was actually the only day that I've like been able to like do nothing in a long time, which was amazing. But then I saw I saw Chicago last night. I'm going to some weird like LGBT networking event tomorrow. It's like my calendar is constantly just full of like completely random BS. At least you still make time for gaming, man. I try to. I of course not. I try. Of course I do. Of course I do. It's, it's essential. So actually, I'm dying to know how you like uh, Hyperborea. Um, well, I, I like it a lot. I like the setting a lot. I, I'm not a huge AD&D guy, and the rules feel very AD&D to me. Uh, the system itself is too crunchy. Making a character takes way too long for my taste. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's a different play style. But um, overall, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I would never want to run a campaign in it. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little too crunchy for me. Is it how how do you think it uh, a session moves compared to DCC? Is it you know uh, if you have a is it kind of like Pathfinder where if you got through one or two combats in a four to five hour session that would have been a lot? I think a lot of it's going to depend on the judge who's running it. You know, I've I've played I played one session of Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea at Gary Con and Chainsaw was running it. And with him, the combat was real fast and loose, and we got through a lot of encounters. It didn't slow down gameplay at all. With this group, a definitely a combat encounter can take up half of the session. Hmm. Oof. Yeah, but part of that's on the players, too. It's it's everybody. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. a combination of play style, judging, and players. It's funny, because I, I played so much AD&D, and... Uh... When I read the Hyperborea book, I was just looking at it a, a couple weeks ago or something again, and it's so beautiful. It's such a nicely put together book and stuff. But I, I kind of, I feel like we house ruled AD and D and ignored so much of it. But it would be weird to do that with a newer system, <laughs> you know, where the where the rules sort of elegantly fit together much better than they did in AD and D probably as sure. well, right? But we didn't play AD and D like that either. Yeah, you know, you kind of picked and chose. Anyway, we're sort of digress, but uh, just curious to see uh, how you liked it. And one thing I would add is I don't recall if Chainsaw used grid, uh, battle mats, but I know that this group does. And as soon as people are bringing up battle mats and minis, combat always takes way longer. It doesn't matter what the system you're using. Yeah, yeah, yep. How about you, Jen? Well, I'm not sure if I mentioned before. But the owners of our FLGS have kind of been our kids for the past few years. Uh, they had a little one not too long ago who has plenty of grandmas and grandpas already. So she now has a grand judge and a grand bob. <laughs> so that is our little Gemma. And at the FLGS, just after Thanksgiving... Bob threw together a quick little one-shot for us that he actually gave a title, which I think means now he has to write the damn thing. Uh, it's Quest for the Chaos Star. And uh, Andy Markham was able to come join us because he was visiting his folks. So he was down from Brooklyn, and that was a lot of fun to have him at our table. I love Andy. He's one of my favorite people. Yeah, yeah, he, he totally is. He was possibly a little stressed for that trip so it was good for him to just get that chance to decompress and 
Having been a guest at some of the games at Gateway Games in Cincinnati, I can totally relate with that. Just kind of like carving a little slice into a family crap trip. (laughs) So it, it was cool to have him there. And I think even cooler that he publicized the fact that Bob has an adventure title now. So uh, get cracking, Mr. Brinkman. Start writing. <laughs> um, I have been having a bit of fun red penning some of Stephen Newton's work again. And Arimati Pipo, he runs Nights in the North, and he just published Moot Number no. 2, which is kind of a community piece. So I contributed a piece in there that was writing instead of editing. So... Have fun. Go read Fun with Fungi. Yay. Yeah. That, that, that's my little contribution. Oh, and I what? wanted to I <laughs> wanted to give a shout out to, I, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to this, but um, the Tabletop Twats from God. the UK are, have a, well, heavily edited, but essentially a real, I guess it's a real play DCC game going. And it's... Pretty darn funny. Um, so I, I have been listening to the last two or three episodes of those, The Foreign Beggars. Oh, yes. They're the ones that are doing a, a live play podcast because we're not. Oh, really? Well, good for them. <laughs> um, it's quite I, enjoyable. I don't, I don't know if it's a cause and effect kind of thing, but I'm going to throw it that way. So that way we're out of the – there's no So pressure. you get off the hook is how it really is. You know me so well. But anyway, they it, it's really pretty fun. They they're uh, very funny, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we should actually have one of those guys on our show sometime. That'd be really fun. Sounds great. You should just crash their game and be on theirs. That's also an excellent <laughs> idea. Except I have to get up the weird hours or something. Yeah. yeah. Can I also give our listeners a weird um, a weird kind of backstage Spellburn uh, insight? What's funny right now is every time, so me, Jen, and Julian, when we record this, we do this over Google Hangouts, and we have video, and we can see each other. But whenever Julian needs to, like, pick his nose or whatever, he turns the camera off, and he uses his wife's computer. So every time he speaks, just a big picture of his wife pops up, and it's pretty entertaining. And I just wanted to share that with our listeners. (laughs) But it's all good. She's a Jen as well. She's a Jen as well, so that's not creepy at all. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm just saying she fits the alliteration. Exactly. Yes. She, in theory, she could be a Judge J. In theory, she could. That's true. You just got to get her rolling dice, man. There's there's plenty of judging that goes on in this house. <laughs> well, speaking of judgment, uh, we have had a little bit of feedback rolling in already on our main show topic. So why don't we head over to those email bags? We did not have to summon email this time. Uh, it, it just came right to us. <laughs> Judge Jeff, you want to take the first one? Sure. Look, I found one. Yeah. This one is from Tony Hogard, and it says, Well met, Spellburners. Number 73, Acclimating to Linkmar, was a great introduction to the new setting. You gave us a deep, crunchy dig into some of the new rules, some fine discussion, and I look forward to further Nawonian explorations on the podcast. I can only echo what everyone is saying, that Michael Curtis has rolled high on his crit table, blending the spirits of the fiction and of the DCC game into a big ball of fantastic and gritty fun. So many ideas to pique the imagination lie within. 
regarding dooms. It struck me that there's one thing I would add to Inglorious Doom in play. I think it would be entirely reasonable that a so-doomed mingle fated for a shameful end would leap daringly into battle. I would allow the PC to make two luck checks to roll the body and take the better results, provided the character acted in a particularly glorious manner. Again, I'm looking forward I'm looking forward to your further delves into Lankmar. See you in the city of the Black Toga, Tony Hogard. Yay! Yay, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing. Yes. Does anybody want to take a bite out of this one? Um, I mean, I think it sounds like a, I think it sounds like a fair house rule. Right. Really? Yep. I'm just right on to that. Cool. Because usually you would take the worst result. So, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you get six thumbs up. (laughs) Nice. All right. Uh, So, yeah. Julian, we've got a weird one here. Our next guy couldn't even spell Judge's J correctly. (laughs) J-A-Y. Sheesh. Sorry, I don't edit everything the man writes. Well, (laughs) all right. I'm not going to say who it is until the end. Uh, Hello, Judge's J. I have finally found a moment to listen to episode 73 with all its Lankmar goodness. Thanks for helping spread the word and getting people acclimated and or anticipating the release of DCC Lankmar. I was pleased to hear that everyone had such high praise for the work. Well, this is a dead getaway, isn't it? For the work we've been doing to translate Labor's work into a fantastic RPG for DCC fans. Is it Dead Kovacs? Mm, nope. <laughs> It's some other millhouse we know. (laughs) All right. I have two quick clarifications regarding the rules as you three laid them down in the last episode. The first is in regards to gaining a second benison. In your discussion, it sounded like the interpretation was that if you wanted a second benison, you could roll on the table again and then pay the luck cost for whatever you ended up with. The idea of allowing the people to choose instead of rolling a second benison was floated as a house rule. That's actually the reverse of what the rules say. If you desire a second benison, you choose it and pay the luck cost, not roll on the table again. This rule was included to allow players to customize their characters a little or to achieve a specific vision of their character, but at a cost. If anything, having them roll a second time would be the house rule, although not one I would recommend. Wow, choosing and building a character to spec. It's just not very... Only that last part, though. Only a second. That's just like a second edition DCC, if you ask me. That's, um... Okay, anyway, to resume. He does still have to roll for a second doom. You know, for example, I'm sitting here drinking a can of LaCroix, and I'm drinking an apricot LaCroix, and people (laughs) joke around about how... What what did somebody describe LaCroix as? Like, Like a Skittles burp. (laughs) Um, this is like the LaCroix of like 3.5 or GURPS or something like that. There's just like a breath of that kind of crunchiness in this rule system, but just, but not so much that it overpowers it. I, okay, moving on. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good thing. We don't record this in smell-o-vision. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Uh, Okay. The other small clarification is that Shielba is an archwizard, not a god. So while Judge Jeff's choice of he, she, it as the supernatural entity that hates his character is valid, I wouldn't let the small error in Shielba's classification slip by without comment. Otherwise, I'd be up all night. 
<laughs> Keep up the good work, as always, and let me know if you'd like me to come on one day to further demonstrate how 2nd Edition DCC, I mean DCC Lankmar, works, or to provide a look behind the curtain as to why we did things the way we did. And by now, I think everybody understands it to be Manly Michael Ningobble Curtis. <sighs> so, yes, Thank you that for was... your email, Mike. We are, we are properly chastised, and um, yeah... So yeah. this time we're going to really watch our P's and Q's, especially when we get to the patron die. You know, I, I got to <laughs> say that part about Shilba is especially funny when you consider that Judge Jeff hates clerics so much. Why would he call Shilba a deity? In fairness, I didn't. If you recall the episode, I rolled that I have a hatred of a god and I said, Jen, since you are the judge in this situation, why don't you pick the god for me? And you're the one who said Shilba. And Should I will also state, <laughs> in, in that moment, I almost quibbled with it, but I'm like, I'm going to let this go. It doesn't really matter that much. And we're having fun. I don't need to like turn this into like a, let's argue over who's a god and who's not. Just, <laughs> just be the bad guy. Yeah. Just <laughs> way to throw her under the four horse coach. You know? <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> man, those are some deep ruts, man. <laughs> And also, I thought, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe Jen knows something I don't know. So that also, that was also part of the reason I didn't bring it up, because I'm like, hey, maybe well, I'm incorrect. As, as we'll go through tonight, some of the patrons commonly found in Lankmar are deities. Some of them, they may or may not be located in a temple, but then you have some that are, like Isak and Kos. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag there. Now, I've only read about half of the Fafford and Greymaster stories at this point. Do we ever find out the roots of Ningobble or Shilba? Were they once human wizards, or have they always been supernatural entities, or do we really just have no idea what or who they are? For a guy who runs an Appendix N podcast, you'd think he'd have read all of Appendix N. I haven't uh, gotten there yet. We're working our way through it. So actually, Ningobble was a was a 10-year-old boy walking home from the theater with his parents when a, when a back-alley gangster jumped out of the shadows with a gun. Give me all your money! And his parents were gunned down brutally before his eyes, and that's when little Ningobble Wayne decided to become... Nin uh, anyway. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we do appreciate your feedback. As always, feel free to contact us at theband at spellburn.com, even about things other than Julian's irreverent comparisons. Hey, for the record, I was uh, I only didn't correct you because I was drunk. And I think we'll all believe that. <laughs> and with that, uh, let's go over to some Mighty Deeds and kick out some more Lankmar rules. Let the combat begin! Combat death! Why behold, our hero! Huh, so you want to play rough, eh? Well, take this! Mighty Deeds. Okay, so, boys and girls, uh, we're going to go back to the Compendium of Secret Knowledge and... Uh, no, God, that gets old. I wouldn't do that to you or the listeners. No. No. <laughs> I do remember on the last episode that we were talking about this, I was like, hey, we're just going to skip chapter two. That that whole part on the magic, we'll get back to it. So uh, here, we're, we're back to it. Uh, 
instead of the normal mercurial magic that you would roll as a wizard for your spells, you get spell stipulations, which are possibly a little more flavorful. Definitely not as out there. I, I think they're a little bit more grounded, for lack of a better phrase. How would you guys put it? I agree that they're less they're less gonzo, they're less I mean if if we want to use that word. They're and they definitely fit the the flavor of Linkmar more, but also not only the flavor of Linkmar, they fit the flavor of Appendix N more because I find that in a lot of sword and sorcery and a lot of uh, heroic fiction, we often have wizards and magicians and warlocks or whatever you want to call them in that story. They're they're often burning censers of incense or they're chanting over a fire, or they're, or they're you know, wringing their hands to the moon or whatever. Um, and that, that kind of stuff you see far more often than spells that are completely unpredictable. And although you might be putting somebody to sleep while you do so, like now you're surrounded by shooting stars. It's, it's, it's very fun. I love the DCC Mercurial Magic, but spell simulations is much more Appendix N flavor to me. Absolutely. We should uh, we should describe it a little bit. Um, I think so. It well, maybe it the best is, way to describe it is by rolling 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 some up and showing some examples. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got my book ready. Cool. So we're we, here. We have a new wizard. I wish I still had my character sheet from the one I was working on last time. I, I forgot it. I'm sorry. But Dude, let's fail. go ahead and <laughs> I know total fail. What but the first one I rolled is a zero five. So let's pretend I have magic missile. So what happens when I cast my magic missile and I have my, this new spell stipulation is zero five? Mm, it's very interesting for for you specifically, Jeff. Ah. The spell is less effective when cast on a specific gender player's choice. Okay. The spell either requires a minus two spell check penalty or the target gains a plus two saving throw bonus depending on the nature of the spell. So Ooh. magic missile not having a save, you would suffer minus two on your spell checks against okay. that particular gender. Ah, fascinating. Right. Now, I also wonder, and this is a fun moment where we can talk about how different judges would call this. So you guys have a player who gets this spell stipulation and you guys are fighting one of our many, it's not a goblin, it is a unique monster thing. Mm-hmm. Are you going to roll the monster's gender or are you going to say the monster doesn't have gender or how, how, how are you going to handle that in that moment? Hmm. Hmm. Well, what do you do if it's no gender? Right. Cause I'm very, I'm like, whatever, I'll roll high, low to figure out gender. I mean, no big deal. But um, what if it's a slug, a huh. giant slug or something that's completely asexual? That's a really good point. Um, I would maybe have the player make a luck check before casting. And then as you're fighting it, you're trying to determine the giant slug's gender, (laughs) you know, um, which, you know, could be comical. And this is what I love about DCC is you have three judges and you're going to get three different rulings because Mm -hmm. the way I would rule it is it says that it is less effective when cast on a specific gender. So in my mind, unless something like let's say for that character, it's male, unless something is giving off clearly male vibes, it's going to work fine. Or if it's if it's less effective on women, unless it's giving up clearly female vibes, you're going to be fine as well. I would say it has to be really, really specific to the gender it's less less effective on. Uh, that needs to be coming across in the way that the the character or monster is portrayed. 
in order for it to have any effect on the spell. And dovetailing on that, I think that that would be more effective to judge if it's one of those spells where the target actually gets a save, because that way it's not up to the player at all. They don't have to do any math. And it's a fun opportunity to be thinking about your monsters in another way. Like, do you want your monster to have an especially masculine or feminine energy in the way that you portray them? Maybe not, but potentially. Yeah. In in a land of primarily urban combats and, and well, no, there's plenty of undead, too. Yeah, that that's an interesting take. Shall we move on to the next spell, spell stipulation? Yeah. Do, yeah. Roll maybe we can do, okay, great. So let's pretend I have Charm Person. My Charm Person spell stipulation. Ooh, I'm rolling high and low. This is cool. 95. Ooh. Mm, nice. Spell requires seven specifically carved stones to be arranged in a mystical pattern in order to call forth its magic. So All right. Hmm. I think that would definitely be the character's movement action for that round, and then they cast, right? I think so. Or, hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, imagine, I mean, are we talking boulders? Are we talking, um, <laughs> you know? Oh, I was, oh, geez. I don't know. That's hilarious. That had not even occurred to me. I mean, uh, you know, am I in a am I in a Jim Ward mode? Oh god! Or is it you know? Are we talking Stonehenge or a bag of runes? Right. 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 Specially wow. carved stones. And also, what happens when <laughs> your your characters are out and about and they get their pockets picked at the silver eel? And now, those oh yeah, stones or, or at least one of those stones is now missing. Oh, yeah. And you no longer have Charm Person until you either get that stone back or find another, what does it say? Um, another... Specially carved stone. Specially carved stone. Hmm. Well, there's your, uh, there's easily your, your carousing effects, right? Or your adventure for the day? Yep. Oh, it, it, for probably several sessions. Yes. <laughs> um. These, you know, so it strikes me that actually they are all, I mean, they're really better and more fun and more flavorful, but they're, they're more like the spell components in the original in AD&D, right? There's a little bit of uh, leeway to it for judge interpretation, I believe. So let's pretend my third spell is Detect Magic. And now I'm kind of rolling right in the middle. I have a 64. Hmm. Well, much like the original set, 41 through 60 is no special stipulations, so there's that. But 64 is just outside that, and this spell, Detect Magic, is going to require you, well, your character, to draw sigils and glyphs to conjure its power. Without the means to do so, the spell cannot be cast. So you're okay. right back there again. But there's other... Now, there's a, stick, a are, stick in the dirt? Yeah, sure, why not? I'm stick into in it. in the dirt? you know you're you're an open your your own blood on the wall exactly yeah yeah i mean there's that's a that's a good narrative uh thing stick right? your finger in your wine flask right yep. yeah that's and very good. that right there really strikes me as super super appendix n mm-hmm. there are some other simple ones like must have a brass ring on your right hand in order to cast this spell some simple things. There are some others where you must be constantly banging on a little drum to cast this spell, which completely screws any stealth. Ooh, apparently there's one. I'm looking at it right here. You must abstain from amorous activities for 24 hours before casting it. And 
there's one that requires you to be completely undressed before working the spell's magic. That's mm. actually in the DCC core book, too. It is, but it's a lot funnier when you're in the streets of Lankmar. When you're out in the middle of a forest or something, or you're in this closed little dungeon, it just becomes a little snicker. But when you're out in the middle of the open, um, discretion is not a bad mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. So I, I think we're pretty clear on the, the spell stipulations. And again, it, it's very similar to mercurial magic, except that it's not going to vary as much. From what I have interpreted, reading this a thousand times, unlike Mercurial Magic, the spell stipulation might actually be the same if you teach the spell to somebody else. So it doesn't have to be everything works differently for everybody. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. The way um, if, if you're teaching your apprentice how to cast a spell, you would also need to draw those same sigils to make that happen. Right, right. Okay, okay. I can see that. And which is very the blue star because in the blue star they have to draw <laughs> sigils for all their magic. Wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were just talking about Fletcher Pratt before the show, so Fletcher, wherever you are, <laughs> <laughs> wherever and whenever. And to add a little bit more flavor, you remember Gray Mouser learning a particular path of magic. At the very end of this chapter in the Compendium of Secret Knowledge, we have the information on black and white magic. And basically, it's a little table that gives you a list of what would be considered white magic spells versus black magic spells. And the small penalties are things like, if you're a white magician and you're casting a spell to inflict harm on a living creature... It's going to be a minus two penalty per die of damage, because that's not what you really specialize in. On the flip side, if you're casting something that's clearly in that white magic list, you're going to get a plus two to all of those spell checks. And the black magicians don't really get a penalty on their casting, but if they ever hit that point of corruption, they roll on the next higher corruption table. Hmm. Okay. So not too bad there. And there's a couple of uh, new spells that are referred to in those lists that appear later in the judge's guide. This one I could take or leave. If If I had a player who was really excited about doing black or white magic, I'd let them go for it. But in my mind, magic has no morality. Yeah, it's basically just a, a difference of inflicting harm on living creatures. You know, no, and I remember that whole, that whole, the, the, the origin tale of Mouser, they discuss black magic and white magic quite a bit. So I, I, I get why it's in there. This just isn't mm-hmm. one of the parts of the, of, because this, this box set just sings to me. I remember. Uh, I get why it's there. I remember second edition AD&D having a, a schools of magic and. Uh, yes. Anyway. And that um, really cool, like, like spell chart where it showed you what the opposing spells were, uh, schools of spells of magic were yeah 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 well yeah. and i think that's it's carried fit. forward in dcc rpg with the spell duels where you have the mm, list kind of opposing yeah. spells yeah yeah they that they do kind of um retain a little bit of that thought there so professor brinkman 
<laughs> I need I need you to keep me honest here. But to me, my my thought is that mechanically, this is a little like the white magic suffers more than the black magic because can't the Am I remembering this wrong? Can't the can't you spell burn to avoid a corruption anyway? No. <laughs> or am I thinking of a I'm thinking of a warrior can can burn, burn a luck. You're thinking of something real like it does say in the <laughs> core book that you can burn a point of luck to avoid corruption, but that is like the one rule that I encourage every DCC judge to just immediately ignore. Get your hu- yeah, get your Sharpie and physically draw over it. <laughs> I don't care how collectible your DCC RPG core book is. Go in there with your Sharpie. Dr- just cover it right up because that rule doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm with Jeff on this one. I mean, corruption is integral to the path that a wizard goes down. If you make it to fifth level and you don't have like a flipper, uh, what the hell? <laughs> Or at least a club foot. But on that note, the corruption as we know it, there's minor, major, and greater, right? And there are 10 options. There are tables with 10 listings in each of those. DCC Lankmar gives you 100 options for Nevonian minor corruption. It does not have that thing where the mercurial magic and the spell stipulations say, oh, numbers 41 through 60 is no effect. No, there are a hundred options of corruption for minor corruption. Guess what? For major corruption, there are a hundred options. That's amazing. And on the greater corruptions, there's a list of 20. And if those black magicians have to roll on a greater corruption table, they're going to be penalized with a negative two, because, of course, one or lower is always the worst. Julian, I would say if you're going to be one of those lame DCC judges that does permit that rule to exist, and you have somebody who wants to play a black magician, I would encourage you to maybe just say, well, if you want to avoid corruption, you have to spend two points of luck. You know, just double it. No, I think it should be like 1d12 points of luck. <laughs> 3d6. No, yeah. You know, <laughs> no, I think I think it should be swingy and not not highly averaged. I was kidding. Um, no, it reminds me of Crips and things. Actually, does a, a similar type thing where they uh, you know have the old D and D spells, but they have them uh, organized into like white magic, gray magic, and black magic. It's and and it works well. It's very appendix N uh, in that system, and uh, of course here as well. Hey, Jeff. Yes. Give me a Should I roll up a corruption? Yeah. yeah. Give me a percentile from minor. Just for the heck of it. Uh, zero eight. Zero eight for Nemonian minor corruption. Character is affected by overwhelming lassitude and fatigue. It imparts a minus one penalty to stamina. All right. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. That's not bad. It's not bad. Roll another one. Uh, we'll move over to the major table. Okay. On the major, I got a 72. Ooh. Flipping pages. <laughs> um, so the character's eyes vanish, leaving only misty orbs in their place. The character can see normally despite the unusual replacements. Yes, I want that. I That's think so cool. there should still I, I would, be a um... personality <laughs> modifier, maybe, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
I would say that the, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm stuck on this idea of the corruption and the luck. I would say rather than uh, have it be that, I would give you an increased corruption range. I think on a one or two, you automatically get a corruption. Mm. Anyway, oh, sorry. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yes. it. And if you want to burn luck all the time, okay, it's on you. You know, again, okay. anyway, sorry. That's fair. So now shall I roll a d20 for our Nawonian sure. greater corruption? Greater. Bring it. That's Bring exactly it. what I just rolled. Awesome. That is hilarious. Aww. Character loses a point of permanent luck every time he fails a spell check. Oh, my God. Ouch. Not just that spell, but any spell. Oh, quest for it. Get that removed. That sucks. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, wow. I mean, if- think, about, think about the math. Because now, <laughs> seriously, seriously, now you have an incentive to always spend luck. Because if you fail the check, you're going to lose luck anyway. Yeah, but you spend luck after your roll. You definitely have incentive to spell burn now. Both, right? Yeah. I mean, because, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank God Nawan and Lankmar has halflings and plantians, right? Right? Well, uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> depends on your Am I wrong? <laughs> are there no halflings or plantians in, in Lankmar? Well, I mean, um, if, if, if your role was a one or lower, a sliver of your soul energy is permanently claimed by a demon lord. So you'd experience unearthly pain, suffering 3d6 damage, a permanent minus two penalty to all ability scores, and an additional minus two to luck. So uh, that minus two on your greater corruption roll, Black Wizards? Uh, hmm. Yeah. Don't also, look. I'd like to read this one. Character is hurled out of Nawan by magical forces. He arrives on a distant world and is either removed from the campaign for 1d12 real months or must complete a quest to return home judge's discretion mm-hmm. well that's that's pretty good it's a little yeah. nasty i i just want to say the the picture at the top of the page by mcdevitt with <laughs> the, oh yeah the guy with insect eyes multiple arms oh it's, it's um obviously the whole thing the lots of nipples God. yeah <laughs> and and a nipple ring only but one. only on, I, I, <laughs> but the nipple only, only one side of the body too <laughs> yeah it's um it's a great picture. It's a little. So, disturbing. what do I need to roll to have three nipples on the right side of my body? One that's pierced. He's got. He's got a little covering. He might be symmetrical. Oh, that's true. That's true. There, there is some draping going on. Yeah. So, how long is the show going to be? <laughs> Pretty long. Oh, how? Long, where are we now? We're doing great. Something. All right. So, we've got. The stipulations, we've got that black magic path, the white magic path, blah, blah, blah. New corruption tables. Now we move over to the Judge's Guide to Nawan for the new spells. And okay, dumb question. Why are the new spells in the Judge's Guide? Um, I believe because that's where all of the patron spells ended up as well. Okay. Um, beyond that, our future guest is the one to ask. <laughs> Fair. I'll lay that one out. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to go through a list of these or a uh, a synopsis of all of them, but I mean, there's or a, if you want, how many spells are there? Uh, there's eight of them, right? Two, four, yeah. They, I mean, how about I roll a d8? We chat about that one. 
Sure. Yay, rolling dice is fun. I rolled a four. A four. Christomelio's Phantasmic Fog. Wow. Ooh, that's a great spell. So you shape smoke or other vapors into a variety of manifestations. You can produce a second level spell. Yes. Yes. It's just one round to cast. Duration varies depending on your effect. And it's a will save versus your spell check, depending. And you can produce any effect equal to or less than your casting result, which is a nice thing that we don't see in a lot of spells these days. And the will save comes into effect when somebody encountering it is trying to determine whether or not it's a real item. It can be anything from simple geometric forms, or you can conjure a crossbow. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, phantasmic effect. You're making an illusion out of fog. And it's also a little bit easier to explain where you've got people all the time that can see you do this stuff. Hmm. Like the the very first one in here I'm kind of fond of because it's confounding glamour and you can basically erase any sign of passage. You can have people who are trying to follow you suddenly can't find you. What I like here is that we've also introduced the geese spell into DCC, which they... is very Now, how do you pronounce that? Geese? Oh, I have a... Gaius? I say geese. What do you say? Gaius? Gaius? I don't know. I'm a G-E-A-S. Say Julian? I'm a Gaius. Oh my gosh. I just <laughs> now, looked it up. Now you're thinking uh, about it. No, I looked it up and it says Gash on my what? computer. What? Gash? Okay. Gash. Eh. Gash. 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 Okay, sorry. Gash. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. It's yeah. fun for the whole family. And Gesh is an obligation or prohibition magically imposed on a person. Gesh? No. No. Gesh. Gesh. What it says, but no. we will all keep saying it the way we've always been saying it. So it'll still be a geese for me, and it'll still be a gaius for you, and it'll be a gaze for Julian or whatever. Because so- what would Fritz Lieber want us to do? Exactly. Would Fritz Pronounce Lieber say GIF or GIF? I think Lieber would say whatever the hell he wants because it's his <laughs> book. So fans of Lieber will notice some spells like Mouse's Painful Suffering and Mouse's Transference made it in there, as did one from the snow. Was it the Snow Women? Conjure Rhyme of Frost, which can have either individual or and, and effects. And of course... Gash is from the Bleak Shore, my personal favorite, maybe. Okay. Don't you think? <laughs> That's a good one. No, it... Are you asking us if we think it's your favorite story? No, I'm saying it's <laughs> Gash is from the Bleak Shore, right? <laughs> Correct, yes. Although there, there's quite a few moments where they're kind of magically yeah, they... forced to do stuff. That that comes up fairly often for them. Um, but the Bleak, think... the Bleak Shore is the most obvious example of it. Don't you think Liber's kind of railroady? I, I just, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with his railroady style. <laughs> I mean, it's I true that if... I not to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I imagine if your D&D session began with, oh, by the way, you all now have to go on this quest because I say so, that might not be the, the, the best way to get the players on your side. Unless, of course, it's because a, cast, a spell has been cast on them and they failed their will save. Then sure, maybe. 
Or if you're at a con game. Yeah. Um, but if half of them have failed it and half of them have succeeded, then now we have dramatic tension. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I, I think so. we... <laughs> yeah. What's we... next, Jen? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, the wait, the great spell. The great spell. You want the great spell? Of course you The do. great spell. No, let's... Let... The great spell. We don't even have to talk about it. Just read the general. The wizard injures, kills, or annihilates other less powerful spellcasters within range. Oh, what? Level five. Casting time one turn. Ooh. So, so basically... That's an out-of-combat thing. Yeah, but I, it's my goal to someday cast this spell in a DCC game, period. That's, that's all. So if you want to know what to get me for Christmas, you know what that means, anyway, Trillian. You can't I, play I have my warrior. I have my other um, archetype mode. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Chaotic wizard. Yes, of course. So Jen, we've also got new patrons. We do. We have, I think, five that give us the entire write-up, complete with invoke patron, patron taint, spell burn, and three spells each. Yeah, we don't need to go through all the spells right this minute. We can dig into those later, but just real quick, we've got Isak of the Jug, who is a deity. We've got Koss. We've got Ningobble of the Seven Eyes, who is a patron, but not a deity. Same with Shilba of the Eyeless Face and Mog the Spider God. Whether or so, not he's a deity is up to his followers, I suppose. And Jen, I have a question for you. Is mm-hmm. there one on here you're especially happy to see? And is there one on here that you're sad didn't make it? Well, it's interesting that you say that because the previous publication, Patrons of Lankmar, from Goodman Games, has some of these plus others that didn't make it, like the Sea King and Death. The patron that I'm most happy to see in here. Actually, we only get the invoke patron and the what we're calling agent assistance effects. I love seeing the winged Taya in here. Yes. She's absolutely my favorite. Yeah, she's cool. In the playtesting, I ended up being a uh, an agent of Isak of the Jug, so that was kind of interesting since I was a warrior, but we can hit that in a quick minute here. The ones that we don't have full spells and everything on are the Gods of Trouble, the Hates, and Winged Taya, but we do get the Invoke Patron effects for them, which really helps, you know, set the tone and where things should be going with that. I don't have any information as to whether or not we're actually going to get full fleshed out write-ups on these patrons in the future, but do it yourselves, man, (laughs) and then submit them so I can see them. Or wing it on the spot. Ha, wing it. Ha, I see what you did there. Okay, cool. What about you, Jeff? Are there any that you wish would have made it into the list? I I would have loved to have seen seen a full write-up for for Winged Taya. That would would have been fun, because she's also the one that I was kind of the most excited about. But I'm happy with what I have, and I also (laughs) believe that you 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 can roll with it, you can make it work. And... It's fun to see Isak here because I one of the things that I love about the story that Isak comes from, which I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> do you recall what the story is called? Um, it's the one where Fawford becomes an acolyte and shaves his head, and yeah, yeah I remember what happened. It's... I just remember the name of it. No, it's so great. <laughs> it's amazing, and the thing that I love, I also actually what I love about both that story and the one about the winged Taya is 
it is arguable whether these entities exist or not by the end of those. Like they probably do, but they might not, but they it's I, I like that LIBOR really kind of leaves it open to interpretation whether or not these entities truly exist. Um, oh, so- I I, va- I mean, I haven't read the Essex story in 20 years, but my I feel like I feel like it was just a parody of religion and he definitely didn't exist or at least not. Make- it really it really felt that way until the last sentence where when Mouser says something to Fafford about like, wow, you did a really good job of fooling them. And then Fafford says something like, no, that truly was Isaac, Isaac of the jug. Hmm. So. I mentioned those agent assistant effects, and I think before we go into that, we should uh, take it over to Mercurial Magic, because this is going to be some of the crunchy, judgy stuff. Great, all-seeing eye of Agamotto! You must come to my aid! Doesn't weird stuff happen when spells are messed up? I don't feel anything. So that could have gone better. Mercurial Magic. So, Mercurial Magic, brand new mechanic here, guys. The patron die. I feel like with this talk of crunch, I should just have like a bowl of ruffles with ridges. And like every time I, every time we get to something crunchy, I just start chewing with my <laughs> mouth open into the microphone. I just break some tortilla chips in the mic. Yeah. So for anyone interested, the patron die mechanic and all that has been built into the fan-made character sheets that were put out for Lankmar. We'll uh, mm. we'll remember to put a, a link to that on the page this time. Remember how I said earlier you don't have to be a wizard to have a patron? It's all a matter of agents versus servants. Wizards who make that bond with a patron are considered the servants. Agents are other characters or even wizards who haven't cast patron bond, but they're in either an unsought-after patronage, where the patron, say, Shilba, simply sees the PC as useful and sends them on tasks. Or they seek out the patron, such as in the case of Isek. My character actually was trying to atone for something that another character had done, and so professed allegiance to Isek. In turn, I got the boon of a patron die. So, Julian, you said you were reading up on this. What is your take? I, I just, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I think, um, I mean, obviously, it's very much of Fafford and the Mouser because of, of course, Ningobble and Shilba. I don't, you know, it, it gets a little bit, um, <sighs> yeah. I, I have mixed feelings that we would talk about later on, but in general, just the uh, let's make the assertion that you can be an agent of your uh, patron is is perfectly great. It's uh, it's very much in the spirit of Appendix N that you'd be cursed to serve uh, Ningobble or Ariok or whoever. I mean, it's not hard to imagine uh, Conan being in the same boat for that matter. That is very true. And so this is where those boxes with the agent assistant effects come in, because each patron has their sphere of influences. For instance, good old Isek is not so much in battle or wizardry, but he is all over protection, expertise, which would be like skill checks, or rejuvenation, so healing. So that's not the best example for 
the patron die itself, though. Let's go to costs, because that one I can explain a lot better and more succinctly. He, of course, being one of the gods of the Northern Lands, very much into battle protection expertise. So I wish to call on Koss and gain his assistance in this next battle because I think I'm going to bite it if I don't. And so, quick for quick clarification, yes. is, are you doing this as a wizard or are you doing this as um, a non-wizard or does it not matter? I would say it doesn't matter, provided you're rolling a patron die as opposed to invoke patron because casting invoke patron is of course casting invoke patron and you have to be a caster you have to have that spell however if you're a wizard who does not have invoke patron or even patron bond but you have in some manner through your role play bonded yourself to or been bonded to cos god of battle you roll your attack die being that d20 and everybody starts at a d10 for your patron die. So you would roll your d10 and that d20. If the result of your patron die is less than or equal to the unmodified roll on your action die, your patron assists you in that capacity. I will admit my eyes are glazing over a little bit. I know, I know. It's crunchy and it reads a little bit like you have to seriously pay attention to this. But I assure you, once you get it in play, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. It's kind of like a spell duel. I'll so. say I, I have kind of two thoughts about this. One is um, it's a little more fiddly than I like my DCC to be generally. Mm-hmm. And also, I feel like the patron die is almost better suited for a storm D- DCC Stormbringer than it is for like DCC Lankmar. And here's why. Like on one hand, on one end we have Krom, Conan and Krom. You can call out Krom's name as much as you want. Krom is not going to assist you. Krom does not care. Then on the other end, we've got in Stormbringer, and it's not like it's not huge, it's not hugely obvious, but Elric does call out to Ariok and asks for his assistance and promises him all of these souls. Ariok delivers. Ariok will actually have things manifest and happen mm-hmm. at his behest. Oh, yes. I feel like she, like Shilba and Ningobble, they will make you go on quests and they'll tell you what they, <laughs> want you to, what they want you to do. And if you're face to face with them and supplicate and beg, they might give you like a little, a little thing that'll help out. But they're not the kind of people who you can like pull out your little cell phone and call Ningobble and ask for help. Like that, that doesn't well, feel super Linkmar to me. Both Ningobble and Shielba would be more appropriate to call upon for aid when casting a spell. If you need help in battle with physical prowess, you would call on Koss, Mog the Spider God, or the Hates. And just flipping over to Koss here. and But do you see what I've been basically with the, you roll a d10 in addition to your d20? You know, even if you have a, a deed die in there, you're looking at the raw number on your D20 and the number on that D10. If the D20 reads three, but your D10 reads eight, no help is forthcoming. How often can I do this? As often as you would like, but keep in mind that you have now incurred a debt to cost that you must repay, regardless of whether or not that was successful. Your 
die type now goes up to a D12. So every time you try to invoke your patron as an agent with that patron die, invoke is the wrong word, I apologize. But every time you try to roll that patron die, your die type increases and it goes up the dice chain. And you have to pay back that debt. You have to offer a sacrifice. You have to provide some service to that patron in order to lower that die type again. Because let me tell you, when you get to a d24 for your patron die and you're trying to roll a lower number than on that d20, the odds are even further against you. But should you succeed, say, with invoking Koss's help, the judge has the option of rolling a d4. And there are things in here about increasing your skill at arms and strength in battle. And if you had an eight on that patron die, you get a plus two bonus to all of your attacks for the the measly price of one die type and a debt to that patron. So yes, it is a little crunchier, but it gives you the opportunity to get support from supernatural beings without being a wizard and without having to call on divine aid and risk, you know, all sorts of disapproval. And like I said, it it really does flow a little bit easier in play, especially with the healing and you would do that during your recuperation period. So it it's not uncommon to get an extra mm, 2d4 hit points from Isek depending on your result. Hmm. Yeah, it it is crunchy. It's mercurial magic. I just don't. I think the core mechanic of it with. is really fun. But um, I'm almost wanting to say that I would never look at the chart. I would simply hmm. use the patron die exactly as you've said. But okay. rather than ever look at the chart, I would take the difference. So you have to roll under your your skill check, attack roll, etc., spell check, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say, roll the dice together. If you're under, take the amount, the difference between your uh, d- your action die and your uh, patron die, and apply it to your um, roll. Mm. Never look at a chart, but and of course, as it, but. Then the whole as the way the escalation works and incurring the debts and so on, yeah, keep all that stuff. And I, I just like a free form uh, type um, thing. But uh, I it took me a while to wrap my head around the roll the patron die under mm-hmm. the skill check. But um, it is but counterintuitive. It's, yes, it's slightly counterintuitive, and, and it reminded me immediately of the Call of Cthulhu thing where you have to roll over your skill to actually increase your skill check at the end of each game yeah at the end of each game like so the the better you get at a skill the harder it is to advance in the skill you know it it exactly. sort of mimics the diminishing returns of being a master of something so anyway it's a great little piece of design i thought you know just in terms it's very elegant uh, with that ascending die, and it uses the funky dice and uh, the chain and all that stuff. So I I really dig the core of it. The um the looking stuff up. I just don't know. I I think I would go free for. I keep the the cool. What is, to me is the coolest part of it. And I'm sure I would play it out of the book a few times, and then I might just be like, 
oh, you made your patron die, so this cool thing happens, or or you right. just take the difference, or whatever. You know? And it is specifically stated that those agent assistant effects are for guidelines for you. You don't have yeah. to roll the d4 and see what that effect is. Similarly, there is a table for patron die results based on the number showing on your patron die. You don't have to go with that as judge, but if your player's looking at it, you might want to explain why. <laughs> well, it's like Mighty Deeds, right? You know, there's exactly. it's pretty left... meticulous descriptions of all that stuff if you want them, mm-hmm. but if you don't, it's totally cool to freeform it and etc. And it also stands to mention that you can be an agent to multiple patrons at once. Mm. <laughs> but then be careful because your patrons can get jealous. So there, I think there's a lot to play with on on the judge side of that as well. It, it's a matter of getting comfortable with it yeah. and just getting a feel for, oh, this is the type of thing that this patron's going to be okay with helping this person with. It actually reminded me of MCC where the shaman can um, also have multiple patrons. And oh, the patron AIs? Yeah. Yeah, that and gets it's, creepy. It's, it's, may, it's maybe one of my favorite sentences in the whole book. It says, like the last sentence in that paragraph is, um, having multiple patron AIs can be very complicated and make a player's life and make a player character's life miserable. The judge is highly encouraged to, you know, in make sure that characters have multiple patron AIs. So Mm -hmm. I think it would be fun to, to do the same thing here. Okay. So new mechanic, it's a little crunchy. Try it out. We can, we can regurgitate it later. And by that point, maybe more people will have had time to use it and see it in action. One thing I would say is, although I'm not loving the patron die, the mechanic of it, I do love the flavor of these agent assist effect tables. You know, I'm looking at this one from Isaac of the Jug, and one of them says that weapons turn away from the agent, seeming to bend on the point of breaking Another one says that water water used to clean the patient's wounds and ease his aches become cool and refreshing as if drawn from a deep cistern. And I feel like those are really great examples of ways that you can use the patrons as a judge when they're role-playing and when they encounter situations where their patron could conceivably help them in a way that makes sense in the story. That I'm completely in favor of. Kind of rolling a random die to get these effects doesn't really feel super lengthmar to me, but maybe I need to play it more. Do you feel it should have more of a point by kind of thing, or no? I don't think it should have any of that stuff. I, I just, I don't really feel like, in my experience of Fafford and the Gray Mouser, they're doing a lot of stuff where they just randomly get the assistance from an outside agent in a way that's really kind of meaningful and easily manifested like this. So I totally, I totally am with you, Jeff. And I was thinking about this earlier today when I should have been working my desperately failing career. But anyway, that's a whole different <laughs> story. So, and I was thinking about like the last time I uh, ran in a, or played in a game of Brendan's, 
and he was doing this stuff with patrons that was completely free form and negotiating boons against tasks and it was awesome and it opened like mm -hmm. throw out all the charts and everything and just be like well the king of elfland says i'll help you if you do this but you're gonna have to do this three times like well how about you give me a big magic sword to fight this guy well if you're going to do that, then you have to serve me for a month and you have to anyway, <laughs> but it was, it was really, and, and it was totally free form. So I started going down that path and being like, man, fuck this fucking die and everything. You know, who the heck with that? Am I? Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so the heck with that. But then I began to think about how great it is when the dice speak too. So even though that's where I kind of came back to having a little really just dice-centric um, little house rule on it because nothing, I mean, in a way, nothing would be cooler than like, you know, then the dice really matter. And when you roll that patron die, if you really super ace it or you really blow it, it's going to be one of those moments where if you're, if it's a life or death roll where the whole table is going to be watching and ooing and eyeing over the result. And it's great to let the dice speak. So, right. And for instance, just like when somebody spell burns to end up with that 80 point magic missile. I, mean, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. All you have to do is roll a one on that patron die while you're invoking Ningobble for help with wizardry. And that by this table, that's a plus six to your spell check. That's huge. Yeah. And if and if you if you really took the the difference between your patron die and your action die, you could get some pretty campaign breaking rolls going probably. So oh, yeah, if you, know. you rolled a twenty for your spell check, rolled a one on your patron die, and you've already yeah. spell burned. Yeah, the judge is in for a world of hurt. <laughs> Do it. I, right. Exactly. So Do like, it. I think it's a matter of being able to offer the player the opportunity to become yes. an agent. I think that's very important. So, And I say, players, try to make your judge cry, and judges, don't try to nerf your players. <laughs> and so that means judges don't be too freaked out about this new mechanic. It sounds crunchy when I'm reading it from technical writing, and no. No, just look at the character sheet, the way things are, are put down with the different spaces for each die type. It's super simple to keep track of. And the play really does flow. So I think I've harped on that enough. Uh, in keeping the old school feel of Spellburn going through new DCC rules, I'm going to invoke Patron Bond at this moment. Patron Bond. So for the DCC Lankmar magic system, including the new patrons provided, what would you guys say? Hit, critical hit, miss, critical failure. Julian. Well, definitely a hit. I, I really like the stipulations. I really like the agent and how it opens up other non-wizards to have a relationship and all the role-play and cool narrative and hooks that will come with that. And I like the patron die, um, but I'd probably tool it and house rule it a little bit. Um, but I do that with plenty of stuff anyway so there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that never was never will be jeff 
Well, I, I'll say that definitely spell stipulations is a critical hit for me. I love spell stipulations. And I think that even if I were doing a non-Lankmar game, like Fleeting Luck, I would use spell stipulations instead of Mercurial Magic. I just think it's right great. On. It offers a lot of flavor that I just, I really love. I don't care for the patron die. Um, I don't really care for the mechanic of it. I've, I've played it in play tests. It doesn't really work for me. But I do really like the the agent assist effects tables in there. So they're still it's still giving me cool and fun stuff to work with. So overall, I'm going to give it a hit because we've got one critical hit. I think the I think the patron dies a miss, um, and everything else is great. Like the new spells, the patron <laughs> write ups, all that stuff. I'm a big fan, and even like the black and white magic. Although I probably wouldn't use it if I had a player who really wanted to. Sure, why not? It's fine. Um, but yeah, definitely a solid hit with um, a big critical hit for the spell stipulations. Awesome. And Jen? Um, I think we all know I'm a little bit biased. There are some things that I was lukewarm on before taking part in the campaign playtest. And that just really helped it all come together for me. So I'm going to go with critical hit and it's not because I'm a shill but based on real life experience on both sides of the table. So I suppose with that, guys, listeners, gals, everyone in between, email us, feedback, notes, etc. Theband at spellburn.com. Leave iTunes reviews for us. It really helps us get noticed. Uh, as a reminder, we are crowdsourcing bumpers. If you want to drop us a link to something that you've put together for one of our bumpers, that would be awesome. And thanks again to Hector Cruz and or whoever ends up editing, you know, every third episode for us at this point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you're... Is, a, is a lifesaver. <laughs> And feel free to send us a message on, um, not send us a message, feel free to tweet us on Twitter to let us know how you pronounce G-E-A-S. And does Ooh. anybody actually say Gesh? Let us know. Gesh. 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 <laughs> I can't do it. Just like I can't say GIF. It's not a GIF. It's a GIF. Can't do it. It's a GIF, Jeff. <laughs> the creator said so. <laughs> I know. People can say all kinds of things. <laughs> So enjoy, let us know how the rules work for you, and game on. You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2019. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more.